Friday, everyone. I am Joe Marcello, joined as always by my partners in comic book crime, Oren Phillips. Hey, gang. And Mike Farah. Howdy, howdy, howdy. We are the Dollar Bin Bandits. So that means this is the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast. And once again, we are here to help usher in your weekend relaxation with tales of yesteryear with one of the queens of the comic book industry, none other than Joe Duffy. Joe was a writer and editor whose work spanned DC, Marvel, and even Dark Horse. And she worked on titles such as Catwoman, Daredevil, Defenders, and even Star Wars. And let's not forget a little-known gem known as Chuck Norris's Karate Commandos. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I missed this one because, uh, like you said, she's worked on so many wonderful things. Um, one thing I was so interested in was the epic line that she was a part of, uh, but truly a, an amazing career. Yeah, we had um, you know some technical snafus here and there, but it was great once she finally uh, connected with um, you know a, a strong connection uh, to talk to her. She we say this about every guest, but it really is so true with Joe. She is just one of the nicest people you can ever talk to, and very generous with her time, and very um, a lot of you know sort of humility um, in terms of being a team player. So you know, let's get to it. Let's talk to Joe. Thank you so much for joining us, Joe. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for asking me. So I'm going to ask you the same question that we ask everyone. How did you get your start in the comic book industry? I got, you could say I got started in the comic book industry with the old George Reeves Superman television show. It was my first exposure to, to comic books of any kind. I was addicted to the show. I loved it. By the way, my dad looked a great deal like Clark Kent, which probably helped my admiration. But at the end of that show, they would always say Superman is based on the character appearing in Superman magazine. Because, of course, they didn't want to admit to an association with comic books. But I was a very small kid. So I was like, well, I know time. I know life. I know look. How cool that Superman has one of those all about himself. And then my older brother, Malachi, a couple of years older, ergo old enough to read and to go to the newsstand, um, showed me comic books. He's like, no, no, this is what they mean when they say Superman magazine. And took me a while to wrap my head around the fact, first of all, that what he was showing me was, in fact, a Superboy comic. So I thought Superman looked pretty darn young. But also, it took me a while to get used to the fact that, wait a minute, if that's Clark Kent in that picture, who's this guy dressed like him in the next picture? And it took my brother a while to explain to me it was like a picture book, except that that you were looking at several pages at a time. So I became addicted to comic books from that moment. You know, heaven help poor Mal, because he would go out and buy them. And then I'd wait till he was out with his friends and then sneak into his room and I would read them. And uh, he grew up to be a serious and wonderful journalist. Um, he actually got into travel, entertainment, food, wine type type journalism and is very well regarded in that field. But I'm the one who followed in the footsteps of his childhood ambition, uh, got out of college and I had met Stan a time or two at conventions and what have you. I'd met Jack. I'd met, oh, so many unbelievable greats. But it turned out I had a friend of a friend of a friend of my mother's in common with Stan. And he was such a nice guy, 
that although he had no clue who I was on the strength of that multiple linkage connection, he asked the people running Marvel at the time to let me up for an interview and see if I was any good. And so thanks to my older brother, my mother, and to Stanley himself, I got into comics. Well, if there was any person to help you get into comics, uh, you know, Stan the man is the one to do it. And that's uh, that's it's pretty extraordinary. Now, I, I have to ask, and I, I want to get this question kind of out of the way because, and Mike, I'm sorry if this is going out of our, our order, but I find it fascinating. There are not many, or we certainly haven't had a chance to speak to many women in, in the comic book industry. And we've obviously, we've had a chance to talk to many men and you hear a lot of stories about, you know, everyone working in the bullpen and, you know, working closely in the, you know, the golden era of comics. How was it for you working in the comic book industry as a woman? Well, it, you know what? It was great. It was a little bit lonely when I started because there were only a couple of us. There had been more before me, and I was aware of some, but by no means all of them. But there were wonderful women in the Marvel offices. There was Mary McFerrin, who was one of the executive assistants who kept everything going. There was Irene Vartanoff, who, you know, she's a fabulous novelist now and one of the smartest people I've ever known. She wasn't doing much directly for the comics content but she was in the office encyclopedically knowledgeable about them. There was Patty Cockrum, you know, who drew some comics and pretty much was the whole art department for the licensing division. And there was Marie Severin, you know, oh my gosh, Marie, God bless her. And also Virginia Ramita, again, not doing the hands-on work in the comic books, Mm -hmm. but obviously as the mother and wife of two of the greatest artists ever, She certainly knew our trade, and she was the one who kept everybody being paid and the books being done on time. So I had plenty of female company in the offices. You know, in addition, there was Louise Simonson, who had been working at Warren and came in shortly after I did. There was Linda Florio, who's now Linda Grant. Dickie McKenzie, who is now Dr. Roberta Campbell. You know, just boatloads of terrific women even if they weren't the ones who were always writing and drawing the books. And as far as my male colleagues go, that once we all got used to the fact that I wasn't exactly the same as them, it became clear I was exactly like them in the one thing that was critically important, which is I was crazy about comics, loved reading them, loved doing them, and uh, was enthusiastic about being there. That's refreshing to hear because you hear a lot of As you would in other industries, you know, sometimes you hear some very negative stories as pertains to women in that sense. And, you know, you know, there are jerks everywhere. I will not say there were no jerks, but I will say they were very much the minority. And, yeah, you meet them everywhere. So it's, you know, it's not surprising that any job you have, there's going to be a jerk or (laughs) understood. Um, Now, I want to move to uh, uh, some work that you did. Uh, specifically on uh, Power Man and Iron Fist. In doing my my research for it, you went against the grain somewhat in that it was the tone of, of that title uh, had become a bit lighter in a time when Marvel was getting more serious. Was that uh, purposely done or was that something that just kind of 
Uh, you just th- thought maybe it needed to be done given the time uh, of the other titles? You know what? I didn't consciously set out to do that. It's just Luke Cage and Danny Rand are very good-humored, inherently funny people. And the combination of them to me suggested, you know, not just a lot of action and power and, oh, my gosh, but also a great many opportunities for them to have fun with each other or to be funny whether they meant to or not. It was not that I was like, ooh, I've got to do a lighthearted book, although based on the success of Power Man and Iron Fist, lighthearted books then became the objective of some of my colleagues. But the reality is the characters just seem to lend themselves to it. And frankly, much as I love drama and action and what have you, it's only ever appealed to me when there are opportunities for humor. Yeah, I agree. I mean, as as much as any, you know, these characters are Iron Man, Iron Fist, Batman, Superman, you know, if there is a moment of levity, levity that lends itself to the story, I'm all in favor of it. And it's just, you know, it's a bit of a breath of fresh air in many, many ways, because, you know, you can't always have the superhero be brooding for whatever reason. So, you know, you're a superhero, lighten up, man. (laughs) (laughs) So what was it like for you taking over uh, that title? Well, it was very funny because I was taking over from Chris Claremont, who I love. I love him as a person. I am a huge fan of his work. I admire the living daylights out of him, but he simply had more work than he could handle. And I was desperate to get on a book. So taking it over from Chris was funny because that was the moment that I realized that even though I admire the living daylights out of him, I wasn't going to write it the way he'd been planning to write it. I I saw the characters differently than he did. I saw their interaction differently. And um, I had to find a direction that I felt was more true to what had been done, not just by Chris, but by Archie Goodwin and Roy Thomas and Ed Hannigan, Tony Isabella, Bill Mantlo and Larry Hama, everybody who had been before me. And Steve Englehart, I had to find my way to taking two very disparate characters who weren't really gelling as a team yet and make them true to themselves and help them find a new direction together. Yeah. That seems like it's more of the, uh, the challenge than anything else to making two, you know, opposite end of the spectrum type characters to really gel well together. And you you certainly succeed in doing so. Well, thank you. I mean, uh, I had a great, because I loved both characters when they were, you know, starring in their separate adventures and hadn't met yet. So it's like, who will they be when they're together was uh, a question I loved trying to answer. That's awesome. Uh, Joe, you know, something else, I'm going to take a left turn here that stuck out in um Uh, your biography, as I was reading it, is a, uh, speaking of biography, biographical uh, comic about uh, St. Francis of Assisi. And, you know, that jumped out for a number of reasons, but particularly because our current uh, Pope obviously took the name Francis um, as as his uh, papal name. Um, What 
brought you to that project and, you know, what did you sort of get out of that, um, uh, writing that biography that you, you brought to other projects? Well, what I got out of that biography was a number of things. First of all, it made my mother really, really, really happy. And <laughs> seriously, you know, what kid with great parents does not live to make those parents proud? And my mother loved that I did St. Francis. And actually, His Holiness, the Pope John Paul II, at the time, the reason he had a biographical comic is because he read Francis, Brother of the Universe, and then said, hey, do one of those about me and have these people do it. And interestingly enough, I was not included in the next two, you know, Lives of Major Catholic Heroes projects, but it always thrilled me and thrilled my mother that basically I got fan notes from the Pope himself. And I did it because at the time, nobody seemed that interested. And to me, it seemed like another interesting opportunity. And I was reared Roman Catholic. So I was, you know, perfectly willing to do this story and uh, got to work with some people in the Catholic Church and learned that uh, people chiseling credit for other people's work and uh, trying to claim they did more than they did is not unique to, to the secular world of publishing. Did you choose uh, this biography? Were, were you looking to do, in other words, a sort of, you know, a biography of a past pope or uh, a significant, you know, Catholic um, person? Actually, the Franciscans approached Marvel. They recognized the fact that uh, St. Francis has always been kind of popular with the public. There has been a movie of him, I believe, Brother, Sin, Brother Sun, Sister Moon, that starred uh, Bradford Dillman. And uh, they came to Marvel and said, hey, wouldn't this be a great subject for a comic book? So that was, that was how that came about. But then based on the, the success of it, uh, Marvel subsequently did the Pope John Paul comic and the Mother Teresa comic. Interesting. Very interesting. I never um, knew there was a there was a Mother Teresa comic. That's I, I remember actually Pope hearing about that. <laughs> wow. Stephen Grant wrote Pope. Tom DeFalco wrote Mother Teresa. To tell you the truth, I was a little disappointed. I'd have happily written all three, but hey, books get reassigned. It happens. And so, Steve and Tom both did absolutely terrific jobs, and they're both friends of mine. So I say that with no, you know, no resentment or, or criticism whatsoever. I would have liked to do the whole trifecta of the, the famous Catholic series for Marvel, but um, maybe just as well it, it was spread out among us all. So when you when you write a, a a comic such as that, I mean, who do you go to for approvals or you know editing, you know, things of that nature? It seems you know. It's not your typical content. You know, this is not, you know, this is not Spider-Man. This is a legit historic figure that has some weight to it. Um, and, you know, do you, you know, get the Pope on the phone? Be like, hey, you need to read this? Or, you know, how does that process work for something like that? Well, because the Franciscans had approached us, we treated them 
just the way we would have treated a Hollywood studio we were licensing a movie from. You know, we we took it to them every step of the way. Okay. Um, Father Roy Gasnick, who has got a partial writing credit on the comic, he actually did not do any of the writing in the comic book, but he was instrumental in giving me a biographical outline of Francis and in recommending and in many cases lending me the eight or so biographies I read or skimmed to get our text. And then we, you know, it's like, you know, St. Francis, but we know comic books. So let us do our job. And then you tell us if we're do we're not doing right by your guy is the way that worked. The Pope comic book came directly out of his holiness, seeing and loving the St. Francis comic book. He, he approached us and said, ooh, ooh, me next, me next, please do me next. Uh, he said it much more dignified, but I love that that was how it came back to us. And uh, Mother Teresa, you know, she was the latest and greatest uh, in the pantheon of saints. And again, very much a pop culture figure. So she made a great third option. You had did a year, a little over a year on uh, Catwoman. I just wanted to know sort of what the context uh, was of you getting into where where we were on in, in her sort of storyline or character development and you know what you were looking to do uh, during those issues with that character? Well, it's very interesting. You want to talk about things taking a left turn. Um, Catwoman was pretty much no place. And I don't mean that in a bad way. But she had not been an active, ongoing part of the continuity for a while. And every writer who had touched her recently before me had had his or her own take on the character and done it this way or done it that way. You know, Frank did her one way in Batman Year One. And then uh, Mindy Newell did her another way in the Catwoman miniseries. But there was no, who is this character? There was no sense of continuity when I came on board and the original objective was for me to do as Mindy had done and just do um, Catwoman is pretty much a standalone that would exist concurrently with the, 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 the Batman continuity of the time. But almost instantly, I was suddenly having to interact month after month with every writer of every Batman title and Catwoman was being woven into that continuity completely. And uh, it, it was not what I had signed on for, but I was having a great time with it because a couple of years earlier, for two minutes without a public announcement, I was supposed to be the writer of, I think it was Detectives, because I'm a big Batman fan, and that hadn't happened. So, you know, put me on Catwoman, great. Make me guest star Batman a lot or have Catwoman guest star in Batman. Oh, twist my arm. That'll suit me fine, too. So uh, a couple of times a year, we were having these these long, long multi-day off-site meetings with Denny O'Neill and his assistant editors um, and the other Batman writers. And we would figure out what was going to happen in all the books until a day came when I was told that such a meeting was in its second day and I hadn't been invited. And then I got a fax from the site saying, oh, by the way, you no longer write Catwoman. So, uh, okay, I had a great time. Sorry to be off it, but uh, it was, you know, 
I was never in charge and the people in charge uh, made different decisions. As it seems to go uh, in the industry. <laughs> hey, it's a business, but there are also people who, uh, you know, who, who have their little preferences that have nothing to do with business or art. And um, I'm sorry that it happens, but it happens. You know, I, I, when somebody hires you to do a job, they can fire you whenever they choose. That's the way the world works. It's right that the way the world works. Sometimes it hurts people's feelings or disappoints the audience. And that is a gosh darn shame, but it happens. You've worked on comic books. You've worked on comic books for Saints, DC, and then you, you worked on horror screenplays, specifically yes. Puppet Master. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, how, was, how did you get into that? Which is awesome. Well, to, I owe it entirely to Peter David. He was doing some work for Full Moon Productions and for Charles Band. And suddenly the moment came when they didn't have screenplays that they were happy with for the next couple of Puppet Master movies. They had outlines. They had screenplays they were not happy with. And um, it was something cuckoo, like Peter phoned me and said, Joe, do you have a week or two free? And I was like, yeah. And he said, well, these guys are great. You'll love them. Help them with Puppet Master. And that was pretty much how it happened. Peter couldn't do that job himself. And he um, was kind enough to give me the recommendation and tell me these were great guys to work with, which is absolutely true. And I think I did my take on Puppet Master 4 and 5, which at the time, I believe, was just 4. But then they realized they had a lot more material than they needed, and it turned into 4 and 5. And and that took me two weeks, start to finish. And I love those guys, and it was great to work with them. And I, you know, I would have done it again in a second. But frankly, there were computer issues there, too. Mm-hmm. And they, they never call me again. And I've often wondered if it was because my laptop was just doing me wrong that week. <laughs> now, were you a fan of this series uh, prior to you know working on them? As a matter of fact, I was not. I uh, was aware it existed, but yeah. I had never seen any of the movies. And part of why I think these people are just awesome is the first thing they did is, and this was, you know, before a lot of video and and burning your own discs and downloads were available. They immediately sent me all the movies and all the literature they had on these characters and spoke to me extensively. And even though I'm very squeamish about horror, I found that stuff completely charming. And it just, it just delighted the daylights out of me to work on it. It was a departure from the original because they were all bad in the originals. And then, you know, as progressed and I guess as popularity grew, they kind of morphed into the, heroes. Yeah, they morphed into heroes. And, um, it, you know, it, it was it's um, it's quite a I mean, horror in itself is quite a niche genre. But when you break it down even further to all the various versions and types of horror, Puppet Master is in itself its own its own niche, if you will, because. I mean, people absolutely adore it because of the, I guess it's, uh, it's, 
I don't think it's stop motion, is it? Or some of it may be, but it's quite literally puppets doing, yes. you know, doing the work um, or, you know, being controlled, I should say. Um, and, you know, with the exception of maybe Chucky, but there really hasn't been anything like it. Um, and it's, you know, these guys don't really say anything. You know, they just. Well, actually, you could argue that there are a lot of antecedents to Puppet Master, but you didn't recognize them because of the genre. That's true. It's what Kukla, Fran, and Ollie were. It's what Howdy Doody was. Sherry Lewis with Lamb Chop and Charlie Horse. And um, the Muppets. The entirety of the Muppet Show and those Muppet movies. It's all puppets as characters interacting with human beings. Or you could even go in the direction of super marionation and all puppets. Because I grew up on and to this day love the work of Jerry and Sylvia Anderson and, uh, you know, Thunderbirds and Stingray, Captain Scarlet. A big fan of that stuff. And uh, Puppet Master was just taking that into the realm of horror. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, Thunderbirds was, my, you know, prior to Puppet Master, Thunderbirds was the, the you know, the only thing I was really familiar with prior to. But, you know, they didn't really kill anyone like this. <laughs> oh, no, no. They, as I said, it, it was the shift in genre that tricked you. But when I was a kid, because I'm sure I'm, I'm a, at least a little older than you guys, there was not the kind of animation that now you see routinely. And TV stations were doing shows with people and puppets all the time. I was crazy about one called Diver Dan that was a lady in a mermaid costume, some guy in a deep sea divers thing where we never saw him at all, and a bunch of marionette fish. And I was addicted to Diver Dan. So, you know, I never really thought about it, but I think Puppet Master was more or less in my DNA. That's cool. No, really and then eventually they moved on to, uh, not they as in the creators of this, but, you know, the last great marionette movie, if you want to call it great, is uh, Team America. So they moved it into <laughs> the political farce realm. <laughs> so it's, it's somewhere okay. still alive that, that and someone else will bring it into a different genre, I'm sure, at some point. Well, more recently than Team America, on the 200th episode of Stargate SG-1, they did a several minute segment of themselves in super marionation. And uh, Richard Dean Anderson afterwards said, Hey, let's face it. What we wanted to do was team America. So the <laughs> legacy continues. Also in, in the nineties, and this is sort of very apropos of the time period uh, you worked for uh, image uh, by way, or rather I should say you worked for maximum press Lee Fields uh, spinoff of image uh, by way of image on the glory series, which um, is for those of uh, out there who don't know is kind of a um, analog, I would say to wonder woman, in the same way that Supreme was the field verse and analog to Superman. Um, what are your, you know, memories of working on that and, and working with Lee field and crew during that very um, tumultuous, I would say time and very creatively, you know, explosive time. Uh, what did you think working on that series and working in that um, company? I 
am nothing but grateful to Rob Liefeld for every minute I worked for that company, both on Glory and on another series I did uh, called Blood Pool. It was completely delightful. Rob and his team could not have been nicer. Uh, we could not have had more fun. It was just a thoroughly wonderful experience. I mean, heck, I got to work with Mike Deodato before anybody else in the United States had even heard of him. It was a wonderful experience. I had a great time doing my take on Wonder Woman. I loved the design Rob had come up with for the character. Glory was a bunch of fun for me. I got to invent her supporting cast. I got to invent her origin, you know, because we weren't doing a straight up copy of Wonder Woman. Sure. We wanted to do the same type of character. And I had such a wonderful time working with all of those people and with those characters. And again, suddenly one day, uh, a fellow creator decided that maybe they would be interested in working on Glory. And I won't say the name because I have no idea if the project ever happened because uh, I tend not to read books that I leave after I leave them just because I can never enjoy them. All I can see is what I didn't do. But uh, somebody one day who Rob admired the daylights out of indicated that maybe he'd like to write Glory. And that was uh, thank you for all your service, Joe. It's been a wonderful time. We think we're going in a new direction now. And that was okay because they treated me beautifully and they were fun, wonderful people. And I will tell you that given some of the things that uh, some of my colleagues felt about them, I was really extraordinarily pleasantly surprised every step of the way by just how much fun I had and how wonderful, not just those guys, but pretty much everybody across the board at Image was during the time I was there. Uh, that makes me really happy to hear um, because, you know, I, I don't, you know, contrary to maybe, uh, you know, clicks and uh, listens, I, I, I don't like hearing that people had bad experiences in, uh, in, in the comic field because it's, you know, it's so delightful to us fans. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would hate to think that creators um, are, are not enjoying themselves either. So, and you do hear, you know, you hear some you know, again, now and again, these um, issues people had in certain companies, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that you had a good rapport uh, with that team and that uh, you had a lot of fun with them because it seemed like there was a lot of fun to be had uh, during that time and with that group of people. So um, uh, it's good to hear. True. Absolutely. You know, and as far as people having bad experiences, yes, at the end of the day, there are always going to be jerks and jerks are going to be jerks, but you can't let that color your experience of doing a wonderful job with mostly wonderful people. You just learn to laugh at and ideally try to forget the people who are stupid or annoying. That's uh, good advice. <laughs> I would say <laughs> um, I, to jump to another uh, time period, a little fast forward a bit to um, some work you did for Marvel. I was interested a little bit in um, particularly kind of the process in, in this time period. You did um, an issue of the last issue of Defenders, 
um, volume two, and then the first six issues of that follow-up series called The Order uh, with a co-writer at this point, uh, Kurt Busiek, um, uh, who, we, who we know and love. What was that like to co-write? And how? I, I'm just curious from a process standpoint, how do you sort of co-write a comic? Well, here is the reality. The division of labor is not the usual. Um, what actually happened was Kurt had the job and Kurt had the idea. And I don't think I'd have ever gotten within a million miles of that book, except that uh, Kurt didn't. This is another case of Kurt didn't have time to do it all himself. And he went to his editor, Tom Brevoort. And by the way, the only reason I think I wouldn't have gotten near the, the book is because Tom and I didn't know each other and hadn't worked together. And Kurt suggested bringing me in. And what wound up happening is Kurt and I sat down, kind of as we're doing right now, each of us on our own phones. And Kurt told me what he wanted the series to be and what he wanted to happen. And I would sit there and go, ooh, cool, or can we do this? Or I'm not sure about that. And then I wrote every issue. But Kurt, because he was the creator, he was the more valued person, this had been his idea, Kurt would then go in behind me and change anything he felt needed changing. And that was, you know, I, I did the script and the plot for every issue, but only after really wonderful sessions with Kurt. I mean, Kurt and I, you know, we're in and out of touch, but we have been friends from the very beginning. Uh, we were introduced by Richard Howell, who's been around as long as either of us. And because of that close friendship, Kurt and I were like automatically friends by connection. And I love his sensibility. I think he's a wonderful talent and a great human being. And he has the same kind of goofy sense of humor as I do. So even when we were doing these dark, tear your heart out stories of betrayal, which certain parts of the order were, we were having so much fun doing it. But he gave me a boatload of input and told me exactly where he wanted it to be. I told him how I thought I could get it there. I would do the writing. He would do the fixing. And Marvel did the publishing. And Tom did the editing. It was it was a wonderful experience. Again, glad to hear it. Oh, um, well, please. I'm a huge fan of the Defenders, and I love all those characters. Um, I had worked on most of them individually along the way, and I'd done, you know, the odd issue of Defenders here or there. But this was just a wonderful chance for me to uh, to work on it. And thank you to Kurt and thank you to Tom and thank you to the wonderful artists. And thank you from us as well, the fans. <laughs> uh, I, I thought that was a great, um, great series. So. Well, Kurt gets the lion's share of the credit because he thought of the whole thing. So, Joe, I have to ask you about um, the saga of Chris Star. Uh, oh, Chris Star. I loved Chris Star. Okay. So, <laughs> so just a little background. Orin, this is Oren's question, and he asked about it. So, uh, you know, I, I had heard it. And I, I'll be quite honest with you. I was not particularly familiar with it at first. And then I'm like, All right, this this sounds familiar. And he's like, yeah, I want to find out about this. Okay, cool. So I do some, you know, poking around and I come across the toys and all of a sudden it's like repressed memories start flooding my brain <laughs> because I remember seeing these toys in the store in my neighborhood as a child. And, you know, this was quite a while ago. And I'm like, wow, 
holy cow, I remember this. I don't remember the comic, but I remember seeing these toys and I was like, where did this stuff come from? So that being said, um, how did you get involved with this interesting comic? Because after the fact, I started reading about it. Um, it it's quite a uh, an interesting idea. Well, the way I got involved with it was actually a couple of years earlier. Louise Simonson and I had created a sort and sorcery comic that was designed to be licensed for toys and action figures. And nothing came of it, although I thought it was quite good and quite cool, and we had a lot of fun creating it. And um, the toy company never picked it up. Shortly thereafter, they were like, hey, here's a great idea we just had. And since the lines of communication were already open, they came to Marvel and like, were like, hey, we're doing a line of sword and sorcery toys. Um, you got somebody who wants to do it? And on the strength of my having put in all the groundwork on uh, the comic that never was, they offered me the writing job. And I said, sure, I love sword and sorcery. and." This is, again, this is a chance to write something where odds are at least nobody's going to say, I've been thinking about this character for years and it's about time I got to write him. And I was like, oh, nobody will boot me off this if I pretty much create it. Well, you know, what I got booted off for was cancellation. But boy, oh boy, did I have a good time until that happened. It, they gave us toys and the names of the toys, and they were like, these are the good toys, these are the bad toys, these two are twin brothers, but one's good and one's bad, now you go. And I got to make up the whole darn thing and had so much fun doing it and fun working on it. I had fun being edited by Ralph Macchio and Bob Harris. And we, again, I, I've got to tell you, I love writing comic books. I love working with artists. I love working with my fellow creators. It was so much fun. And I was able to inject, you know, just as much humor as I wanted to into Christor as I'd previously been able to do with Power Man and Iron Fist. And that was part of the appeal for me. There was nobody to say, you cannot make that wizard say these ridiculous things. Ogeode is grand. He must be Gandalf. And I'm like, well, yeah, but he could be Gandalf, but maybe a little bit Doctor Who too, and maybe sort of the absent-minded professor. And because he wasn't a pre-existing Marvel character, nobody told me I couldn't, so I did. I have to say, uh, your attitude is, it's infectious. It is, you are very, very much a breath of fresh air to talk to. Well, thank you. You don't drink coffee, do you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I had to switch to decaf, and I had a big cup of it right before the call. <laughs> Caffeine on top of all this was a little too much. <laughs> we try to make it as light as possible. We really do. <laughs> um, so I want to be mindful of your time, um, but where can you know where can fans follow you see your work you know all that good stuff so you if, know if i might i'm oh. sorry to interrupt go for um, it dude. no you go 
uh, Joe Duffy, and we can, you know, edit edit around this. I I do have a couple more questions before we get to that. If that if you do have that's the time. okay, I I can give you some more time. That's okay. Uh, that's all right. Uh, really, there there are only uh, two. One is um, I did want to quickly touch on your work on Akira, uh, because according to what I have in front of me, you you were the or credited as a writer for. Th- 36 issues i believe the first 36 issues what is was that a, a translation um I, I don't have the books in front of me i'm, I'm having a hard time finding it was it really translation from the japanese manga i i my japanese is not nearly good enough to do my own translations i, I was thinking that <laughs> what here's what happened uh lovely lovely lady did the translation for us and um my job was to, her translation was somebody where English was very much her second language and she couldn't get the kind of bounce and natural idioms into the characters that we needed for this comic to be a success. So, you know, and first of all, first of all, of course, Mr. Otomo wrote the whole thing. And then um, she was so wonderful doing the translation for me. And I'm not saying her name right this second because it's late and I'm spacing out and I'm so embarrassed because I loved working with her and she is a delightful person. But she would explain to, she would not only translate the literal meanings, but she would explain to me now here, you know, he said sugoi and sugoi is actually kind of a rude word, but kids are saying it all the time these days because it means something is so excessive and so intense. It's kind of a compliment. And I'd be like, oh, okay, I get it. So we can't literally translate sugoi, but you want something obnoxious kids would say when they like something. And that was my job on Akira, was taking the words that she told me the characters were saying and turning them into the kind of English I'd have written myself had it been my own project. Interesting. That I, I just, I find... Um... <laughs> the different modes that you have worked in as a writer and editor to be very interesting because it's such a diverse way of working. It wasn't just plotting. It wasn't just scripting. It was, you know, this work with Kurt, this um, this translating, but not really uh, on Akira. Uh, it, it's certainly been a breath of uh of of modes, as I said, of, of working. Uh, do you do you enjoy having all those? types of you know experiences oh heck yes i love a challenge i um i don't always rise to them but i you know sometimes i try to rise and wind up stumbling but i love trying something new and i love an opportunity to do something different and uh i figure versatility just makes me a better creator so i try to be as versatile as i can both in terms of the characters i write and the styles of narrative I could handle, but also just in terms of, you know, oh, okay, this week I'm doing doing something based on a movie. Okay, this week I'm I'm doing something ba- <laughs> based on the life of a famous saint. Okay, this week I'm uh, helping a Japanese comic read as though it were written in the United States, yet still keep the cultural Japanese flavor. Agreed. I, I am... Big fan of versatility. I, I try to um, uh, be versatile myself in the different uh, ways that I work. So uh, very much admire that. 
Um, now to, you know, for my last question or last topic is sort of to bring it all back kind of full circle. And now, you know, 2021, even over the past few years is a very different time when you talk about uh, women and girls in comics. Uh, I have a daughter. Um, Joe has a daughter. They're both have been exposed to more comics than I'd say probably most um, would have, you know, 20, Whether 30, they wanted 40 to years ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whether they wanted to or not. But even, you know, even though Joe may um, uh, keep up with the current comics a little bit more than I do, but I'm certainly aware that even the creative teams, there are just a, uh, a plethora of uh, female writers and artists, um, and you're seeing that obviously in TV and movies. Um, you know, I, I'd love to just know your thoughts. Is that something you're you're um, happy and proud that that is going on? Is that something that really gives you a lot of, uh, of hope for the industry? I am so delighted every time I see that you know. Gail Simone has written another book, you know, what have you. I'm, I'm, Gail's name just popped in my head. But there are so many wonderful women writing and illustrating and what have you. And this is, you know, this started before I got into the industry. I am thrilled that it continues. And if in some way I helped get that door open, yay me. But these women did it themselves. So yay them. I am very proud of and happy for all of them. I will say that the first time, uh, oh my gosh, it was right a couple of months ago, right before I had a, a big tragedy in my family, my nose was put so out of joint because somebody or other, and I can't remember who was doing a big thing about women in comics and invited me to be a member of his audience. And I was, okay, you know what? That, that got my dander up. I was insulted. I was, you know, I had that, do you know who I am moment? And of course he did. But the point is he had other women he wanted to include and it kind of miffed me. And then sadly, I was brought back down to earth by some stuff going on in my family that uh, made me realize being slighted by some guy you've never heard of, you know, because you thought you, you were always going to be one of the stars of this category not the end of the world. Tell you what, Joe, grow up and call us in the morning. And uh, I, I'm delighted for my colleagues. Sometimes I'm a little, oh, but what about me? But you know what? That's not grown up. That's not reasonable. And I'm so happy to see other people carrying the banner. Well, that's uh, quite magnanimous of you. <laughs> um, I, I think it's, uh, I, I think you are, um, uh, whether that person recognized or not, you know, someone uh, including Louise Simonson and a number of the um, women that you mentioned earlier. Uh, June Brigman, Jan Dersima, Colleen Doran, Wendy Peeney, Trina Robbins, Cindy Martin, the trouble is those are just the names that are popping into my yeah. tired brain at this hour in the morning i'm going to be like oh how can i forget all the others you know how can i forget bethany pope how can i forget all the other wonderful women i'm sorry lady it's not that i'm sliding you it's that i'm kind of dim and tired 
<laughs> no, no worries. I, I, what I was going to say is that, you know, all of these people and, and feel free to send us more and we'll put them in the show, show notes, <laughs> although there are quite a few Internet, you know, uh, resources that have a lot of these names. Uh, you know, these are the shoulders that um, the, the modern creators are, are um, standing on. And, um, you know, on behalf of them, you know, thank you for your work. And oh, uh, Annie Nascenti. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and, and I think it's only done, you know, good for the industry and for the readership and, you know, having sort of precluded 50% of the audience for so many years, um, I think, you know, everyone is now proving and you proved early on that it's, it's really, it's a art form for everybody. And, um, I'm, I'm so glad and I know you are too, that, uh, you know, we're getting to some sort of parody, both in this art form, as well as, you know, TV and movies. And it's just so great to see. And it gives me a lot of hope for my daughter and, and the other younger kids coming up. So hey, well, uh, you know, thank you. <laughs> let's thank you. But, you know, let's it, this is not limited to women. It's like, mm-hmm. look at all the people of color who are creators now and who are characters now being represented. It was right. unheard of before the 1960s to have characters of color, at least in mainstream superhero comics. And now they're some of the biggest and the greatest. And we've got so many, we do have and have had so many wonderful creators of color and Latino creators. And, you know, the world is a much bigger and better place. You know, we've got more Asian Americans and Asians working. And so it's like, yes, I'm glad women are being represented both as characters and creators, but I'm glad everybody's being represented as characters and creators. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the fact that there are gay characters now and there are creators who are happily out of the closet. And we've got not only superheroes, but superhero creators on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. It's like, thank you, world. I'm so happy that when I was a kid, this was starting and that I am living to see it come to fruition. Welcome back, everyone. How great was Joe Duffy? An absolute pleasure to talk to her. Uh, it was great to get a female perspective on such a male-dominated industry and to hear that it was a real pleasurable experience for her as well. Yeah, you guys did a, a bang-up job with this. It's a, it's a great interview. And, you know, another one of those people who had such an impact in comics and it's, it's so nice to hear their stories. Yeah. And as you know, fathers of daughters, all of us, um, it's great to have, you know, a role model in the comics industry and Joe, uh, along with a number of other, you know, pioneering women, uh, is just that kind of role model. And it's great, uh, that it's finally coming. The industry is finally, um, you know, uh, serving up content, uh, for the other half of society. And, uh, it was great for, for, to talk to Joe about that and everything else. So, um, That'll do it for this one. Uh, Thanks to Joe Duffy. Thanks to uh, my co-host. And uh, we'll see you next time on Dollar Bin Bandits. The Dollar Bin Bandits are Oren Phillips, Joe Marcello, and Mike Farah. New episodes release every Wednesday and Friday. You can find us on all the socials at Dollar Bin Bandits on Facebook and Instagram at DB Bandits on X. For more super nerdy discourse, join the Dollarbin Banter Group on Facebook. You can email us at dollarbinbandits at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you found this episode. 
It's the easiest and most helpful way to grow the show. Looking for merch? Search us up on TeePublic. And if you want to support what we do, smash that support button on our website, dollarbinbandits.buzzsprout.com. Thank you to Sean McMillan for our graphics and Pat McGrath for our logo. Thank you to our friends at Tomorrow's Publishing, T-W-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-S.com. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, banditos.